Good morning, everybody. Thank you. A very big warm welcome. Warm being the optimal word. I, I, I did consider whether or not I could preach to Dan a scarf, and I thought, no, that's probably not, uh, not the best idea in the world. But a uh, big welcome to everyone here this morning and those that are joining us online. I know that there are quite a few that sadly are unwell, suffering from the bug of being unjustly knocked out of the World Cup last night and therefore aren't with us this morning. But a very big welcome to them. So as I said, my name's uh, Sam. I'm one of the uh, trustees here at Sutton Vineyard and I have the privilege to continue our series this morning as we work through Advent. So we've just lit our third Advent candle. I did notice that I think hope is a little bit close to the wreath. So Paul, if you could just let me know <laughs> if, we, if there's any emergency action that needs to be taken. But we've had some really beautiful sermons recently, haven't we, from Lynn on hope and Lorraine on peace. And I have the privilege this morning to talk about love, which is good because I have to admit that I absolutely love Christmas. I'm one of those people that's probably very annoying to many that declares on a number of occasions that I absolutely love Christmas, usually from about the end of October. And everyone in the office kind of turns around to me and starts getting a little bit frustrated. And I, and I love the traditions. I think um, our car has been set to Heart Christmas, which plays exclusively Christmas songs since it actually started. I think it goes live around early November. We actually tried to search for it once a little bit too early and realized maybe we did have a slight problem there. <laughs> And we love celebrating our other Christmas traditions like Starbucks Christmas cups coming out and the first eggnog latte of the year and starting new traditions. I'm, I'm very excited about beer and carols. That sounds absolutely awesome. I was, I was having a conversation with, a, I won't say his name, but uh, with the worship leader that was on this morning about how much he loves carols. And I have to say, I very much agree with him. Every worship leader I've ever met seems to absolutely love them. And then laughing about old traditions. But I know it's an extremely difficult time of year for many. It's a time of year where I think life just seems to get on top of us. And everything just seems to be going too quickly. And you just want to slow everything down. And maybe something that was so beautiful in the past with this childlike wonder has just become something that is a bit of pressure and a bit of a chore and a bit of something to endure. So I think this morning what I'd like to do is talk about what there is to, to really celebrate Christmas, to, to maybe look at it in a new light or maybe more appropriately an old light. And through that, I just really hope that we can take something that we can absolutely love and celebrate about Christmas today and take that forward. But before that, I'm going to pray and then we're going to, we're going to hear the Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, a Bible verse and I'm just going to ask Claire to come up. He's going to be doing the reading today. So we're going to be reading from, from Matthew 2, slightly longer than, than we would usually have. So I'll just pray and then I'll let Claire take over. Oh, Lord, we welcome you here today. Fill our hearts with love and let us see you more as you so love us. Amen. So this is Matthew 2 verses 1 to 18. <clears throat> now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled 
and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, in he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall, become, shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt, Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because there are no more. Perfect. Thank you, Claire. I just love listening to someone read from the Bible. Um, and I'd imagine that it's a passage that is all too familiar to us. We've heard it read a number of times, certainly if you've been coming to church, but we know the story, don't we? We know, we know about the wise men and we know about the star and we know about the presence and we know about Herod. We know the songs and the films and the pop culture that comes with it. It's, it's something that is everywhere this time of year. Even the part with, with Herod at the end there that we, we often kind of skip over that doesn't make its way into the nativity plays that we see was made ever so famous by that private school in the film Nativity, wasn't it? When they wanted to, <laughs> to one-up the school up the road and they decided they'd do a play that nobody has done. I always think of that one that if uh, Pete Hardy was let loose with the nativity play, that would probably be the one that he would, he would bring forward. But in fact, the Christmas story is perhaps a little too familiar. We hear about it. We know about it. We've experienced 
countless nativities, haven't we? The only ones that I've personally been involved with are the, are the ones that I've actually starred in. And I do say starred because there were very few shepherds that quite nailed it as, as well as I did. Tea towel tied perfectly round the head. But Lord help my wife Sarah who has four nativity plays this week alone as a nursery teacher. Could I ask if you could raise your hand if one of your children has ever starred in a nativity play that you've gone to see? Yes, we've got quite a few there. And uh, I, I'm not going to ask, it would be a little bit too mean for those that have had multiple children or multiple plays, but how many pictures did you take at the very first one versus how many pictures did you take at the very last one? I'm one of three, I'm the youngest of three, so while I was the best shepherd ever, I doubt that there are many pictures of me around. And it gets to the point where we, we, we know this story, we can almost fill in the gaps. I, I, I feel like if you gave me an opportunity, I, could, I, could, I, I think I could get most scenes in the right order and, and, and certainly with what's happening. We get to that moment where we tend to hear, but we don't listen. And it's something that I get accused of on numerous occasions in my household. Are you listening? Yes, yes I was. Well, what did I say? Oh, uh, something about the cat doing something cute. Lucky guess. <laughs> we hear, but we don't listen. And I'm going to ask an honest question, brilliantly read by Claire, and I'm not taking that away. But when we heard wise men, did anyone's mind start to wonder slightly? Fill in the gaps, we've heard it before. Let it go on to maybe Christmas shopping that you needed to do or other things that are, that are far more important. How many people started singing We Three Kings? Has Christmas become that thing that we see and hear but just blurs into our preconceptions? And it reminds me a little bit of Christmas traditions. I, I spoke about them very briefly as, I, on the, as part of the introduction and the, the Starbucks Christmas cups. But everybody has those Christmas traditions, don't they? They become part of how we celebrate Christmas. And they become so ingrained. And you, and you very much are of the perception that the right Christmas traditions are your Christmas traditions. And it never gets shone under a light more than when you meet a partner and you have to speak about both of your Christmas traditions. And you laugh about the ones that you share and you explain how they're wrong on the ones that you don't share. <laughs> Is it a star or an angel at the top of the Christmas tree? Is it a real proper authentic Christmas tree or is it one of those rubbish fake ones? <laughs> Are you a TV on or a TV off person on Christmas Day? What time is Christmas lunch? That's always one. What does all the trimmings actually mean and what on earth is bread sauce? <laughs> and there's always some traditions that to other people seem to make absolutely no sense whatsoever. And actually on personal reflection probably don't make a lot of sense to the, to the person that holds them. In my family, we started a tradition many years ago that's called the rubbish present game. And anyone coming to Christmas Day has to take five English pounds, British pounds, I suppose, five pounds, and buy the worst possible present that they can find. All money has to go to charity. Those are the rules. And you get together and you give these presents on Christmas Day, and then you have to vote on what the 
worst Christmas present is out of this group. And the loser is the person with the worst, worst Christmas present. And by that, I mean the one that doesn't come first in voting what the worst Christmas present is. <laughs> is everybody following at this stage? Yes. And the person that loses wins all of the Christmas presents. <laughs> And the one rule is, is that they have to take them home and they have to display them in the house for a year. <laughs> Except it's probably only ever lasted about a week until you start finding said presents in your own house after you've visited them and had them around. We always used to hide them in my, my, my nana's bathroom. we keep them there for quite a while. And as I reflected, I realized that this Christmas tradition really doesn't make sense to anybody else apart from our family. And that never becomes more apparent than when you invite a stranger around to celebrate Christmas Day with you. And it's usually a, a mother-in-law or a father-in-law or, or another partner. And you sat there and you're explaining and there's a strained grin on the person's face. But we take it for granted, these, these traditions become a, a routine. And I just was questioning myself as I prepared for this, is that what Christmas and the Christian story is a bit for us now? Has it become a, a routine? Is it something that we just mostly take for granted? Is it something that we perform on muscle memory alone? And then I asked a really big question, and that is, does it make any sense whatsoever? Yes, yes, angels, immaculate conceptions, stars, wise men, shepherds, mangers, and all the trimmings. But do we stop and dwell and think to ourselves, does it actually make a lot of sense? Does Christmas really make sense whatsoever? I'd like to think that there's a few grip seats out there thinking, where on earth is he going with this? Uh, Steve and Lynn aren't here today. If they're watching live, hello. I've got images of them quickly calling up JD, asking them, cut the feed, get him off the stage. <laughs> but I have to say, one of the things to take from my sermon this morning, if you take a few things, is Christmas doesn't actually make a lot of sense, at least from a certain perspective. The birth of Christ is one of the most important events in human history. Something to rejoice and celebrate in. Is it true? There's not a single part of me that doubts that, the truth of the Christmas story. But does it make sense? That is a very different question. And it got me thinking, actually, and it's something that I've thought on for a little while now, and that is... The Bible seems to be full of things that on first reading don't make a huge amount of sense. You read these things that are contradictions or even oxymorons in, 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 in how we read them. They, they make complete contradictions to themselves. They don't seem to make sense whatsoever. And I thought, well, why don't I bring some to illustrate the point this morning? They're going to be verses that I'm sure you know very well. And the first is Matthew 20, verse 16. It's there. So the last will be first and the first last. Obviously. <laughs> and then if we flip to the next one, Matthew 16, verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
we hear these verses as Christians all the time, don't we? And they make sense. And I, I, trust me, they make sense. And there's truths and there's learning to be had here. But on first reading, we can't sometimes forget these complete contradictions in themselves. Next one is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. This is Paul writing, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And then he says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. I can imagine him writing this with the people that he was travelling with, and as he looked at them, then being like, mm, and as he turned around, go, oh, I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> and then Mark 10, verse 45, or part of the verse. We've got, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Well, that one on first reading doesn't seem to be a, a massive contradiction, certainly not like the others. But as we read, it, it smacks us in the face of something that doesn't actually make a huge amount of sense. And we'll talk about that in just a little while. And then this morning, we heard probably what was the most contradictory reading that you'll ever find in the Bible. Wise men. I'm not sure if anyone's ever thought about this. Not just wise man. There's, they found multiple <laughs> versions of them. When I wrote this, I'm not sure why, but I thought I'd for our, our resident Tour de France cycling group here at Sutton, getting ready to go out on a cycle. And I think if you politely ask their other halves about the concept of wise men, maybe they would have other words to say. <laughs> but I joke... But when we read these apparent contradictions, actually, the amazing thing about them is it's that the lesson is in the contradiction. That's where the understanding and the, and, and the true impact of this comes from. When, when Jesus teaches us that the last will be first and the first last, it should smack us in the face. It should make us say, how does that make sense? That's part of the message and why it's so powerful. And we hear in worship songs, we heard some, some verses this morning, but we hear seemingly contradictory terms in themselves. We sing things like servant king. It's a fully accepted Christian contradiction that when you've been around church for some time just seems to roll off the tongue and, and doesn't really make you think too much. But servants aren't kings. And seemingly kings are not servants. And we see some of these contradictions illustrated in the gospel. There's that moment that Jesus goes around and starts to wash the disciples' feet. And it makes so little sense that Peter, normally meek and mild and doesn't have an opinion, jumps up, doesn't he? I joke, of course, he often jumps up and has something to say. And says, no, Jesus, don't wash my feet. Let me wash yours. It doesn't make any sense. This is wrong. And then there's a lesson to be learned there. And Jesus, as he always does, explains it to Peter and puts him in his place. And he says, when he understands, oh, Lord, wash all of me. These things should smack us in the face. They should be things that on first reading seem like contradictions, things to delve into and understand more. And then we get to Christmas. And then I ask, does it make any sense? Maybe. At Christmas, we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the incarnation. 
birth of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. The incarnation is what we call with the fact that God became human through Jesus. Jesus, part of the Trinity, fully man, fully divine. And the birth of which we celebrate on the 25th of December. I'm hoping there's a few people out there just like, well, obviously. Except when we hear these things, we so often lose sight of the, the gravitas of that message. God became man. Jesus is born fully 100% human, fully 100% divine. I mean, even that, that's like 200%. That's pretty hard in itself. And I've been thinking of it as you do when you're preparing a talk on Advent as we race towards Christmas. The concept of God becoming human, except possibly we shouldn't even say God becoming human, but we should really be saying God becoming a baby, a helpless baby. All you have to do to see the apparent contradiction there sometimes is God, baby, God, all powerful God, baby. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. And it should make us sit up and question that and say, wow, God becoming a baby. I really liked listening to, uh, to, the, to the sermons on Advent that we've had so far. And when Lynn spoke a couple of weeks ago on Hope, she mentioned the absurdity that we hear in some of the Christmas carols that we sing. And I was looking through and, and it's something that I often find funny. And there's that lyric in the, in the, the verse in, in a very famous carol that says, But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I can assure you that the little Lord Jesus would have cried his little heart out. Why? Because it's an absolutely fundamentally important thing for babies to do. It's that tragic story of babies that were, that were left to themselves in an orphanage and they stopped crying. Because it's a communication method. It's, I need something. When my niece was born, she wasn't crying. And she was taken away and she was worked on by the medical staff there. And her dad, Greg, was watching on. And Gemma, who'd just given birth, was worried and he was trying to comfort her. I can assure you the best thing that they have ever heard in their lives was when Fleur opened up her mouth eventually, lungs filled with air, and she burst out crying. Because it was life. That is what human life Sounds like when it is brought forth. What else? Lynn mentioned dirty nappies, didn't she? Inevitable with children. I'm sure I haven't been blessed with children as yet, but I have nieces and nephews, and my word, I leave the room when things go wrong in that department. <laughs> I often think with God being all-powerful and, and all present and in time and out of time. Do you think he was ever tempted to time the incarnation after baby wipes were invented? Maybe disposable nappies <laughs> and soft blankets from Jojo Mama Baby or other ridiculously named shops available. Here is baby Jesus, a baby, crying, hungry, soiled, cold, 
Later, he will be teething, learning to walk, falling down, getting back up again, and going through life like all of us. We use the name Emmanuel, and it means God with us. Jesus is a defenseless baby. God has become a defenseless baby, entirely dependent on his parents, on humans. Jesus, like every baby ever born, is completely and utterly defenseless. And his life is entirely in the hands of his parents, and in particular, Mary. Every child's life is in their parents' hands and their primary caregivers. That's why we refer to them as primary caregivers. And even more so back then, there was no such thing as formula back then. Tough times. Jesus had a few options. Mary, a wet nurse, or death through starvation. That's it. They were the options. God becomes entirely dependent on his creation. Truly God, truly man, so vulnerable, entirely dependent on humans, Jesus' parents. He would have been hungry, he would have been defenseless, and fully dependent on his, his mother's love and protection. Vulnerable to life, and everything in, the, in this imperfect world, let alone when you've got psychotic kings that decide that they're going to go on a spree of mass child murder. I can assure you that this seemingly is not the life of God. And it was never the plan. Sarah's been listening to a Christian album with some beautiful lyrics and some songs that we've been talking about recently and we always talk about my sermon and we, we, we bounce ideas off and she said you've got to listen to this song and I did and I can't sum up the words any better so I'm going to read them out sadly I'm not going to sing them you will be pleased that that is the case and it's called how low was our redeemer brought and it's by sovereign grace music excuse me How low was our Redeemer brought, the King who held the stars, lay helpless in a maiden's arms and pressed against her heart. While sheep and cattle raised their voice, the babe could speak no words. The ever-flowing spring of joy had come to share our thirst. How low was our Redeemer brought, the world, the Lord the worlds obeyed, would stumble as he learned to walk, upon the ground he'd made. The one that angels bowed before would kneel to wash our feet and be at home among the poor, though he owned everything. Christmas, sometimes it doesn't make any sense. God shouldn't become man. I wasn't ever supposed to be God's plan. It was, certainly wasn't God's place. That is the wonder and the beauty of it. And that's what we're supposed to find when we look in the manger. A helpless child that represents so much more. 
the incarnation, God with us, is the miracle of Christianity. And we get a chance to celebrate that at Christmas. As I always do, I've been self-reflecting as I've looked to prepare for this Sunday. And I've asked myself a few questions. When was the last time that I truly thought about that at Christmas? Do my thoughts, my prayers and my actions reflect what Christmas actually is? And then I started asking, okay, well, so what? Or better still, so what? So what does this have to do with love? Well, absolutely everything. One of the most powerful moments in my life and my faith was when I started to realise how strange Christianity was at times. Certainly not particularly logical from my perspective. I've been brought up a Christian all my life. I've spent a significant part of my Christian life actually at this church. And so I've been brought up with the Christian story, the Bible stories, certainly Christmas. And it's an absolute blessing in my life. But for something that's been in my life for so long, naturally what happens is it can lose its gravitas. It can lose the points. I've started gasping, it seems, at the wrong parts of the story. I'm shocked and, oh, wow, make the noises when you hear about Immaculate Conception. And I've missed the point of the fact that God is there in that manger. And actually, you start to think about it more throughout the Christian story. And I'll always remember a time where I read a book, and it was a really important part and time in my faith. And the book's called, I'm sure you've heard of it, but the book's called A Life of Pi. It's a very famous book, top seller. They've made a film about it. They've made a stage show about it. And as anyone who's, who's seen those but not necessarily read the book or, or certainly has just heard about it, the, the famous part of the story is Pi or Piscine, the main character, finds himself in a boat with a tiger. And that's part of the story. But when you read the book, the first half of it is about an individual that's going through life and questioning faith and understanding what it really means. Now, I have to warn you, this is not a Christian book. It's a brilliant book, but it's not a Christian book and it helped me. But I am going to read a part of it this morning because I'd like to try and take a glimpse of what I found, which was almost a resetting of my faith, seeing it through the eyes of a complete new believer. And the part of the story is, is, is Pi's been traveling around and he finds a church and he finds his way into this church and he's looking around and he sees all the stained glass windows and he sees the life of Christ depicted on these stained glass windows. And the one that he's shocked about is the one where Jesus is up on a cross dying. Now, the part that I'm about to read focuses on the Easter story. But the amazing thing is, is that no Christmas, no Easter, no incarnation, no resurrection. And the important thing, and this is something that the character in the book actually reflects on. Christianity isn't made up of lots of different stories. It's a continuous story. So I read the short section, you can see that the words have come up behind me. And this is Pi talking. The first thing that drew me in was disbelief. What? Humanity sins, but it's God's son who pays the price. 
I tried to imagine father saying to me, Pissin, a lion slipped into the llama pen today and killed two llamas. Yesterday, another one killed a black buck. Last week, two of them ate the camel. The week before, it was painted storks and grey herons. And who's to say for sure who snacked on our golden, golden agouti? The situation has become intolerable. Something must be done. I have decided that the only way the lions can atone for their sins is if I feed you to them. Yes, Father, that would be the right and logical thing to do. Give me a moment to wash up. Hallelujah, my son. Hallelujah, Father. I loved being able to read this and see this through someone who was discovering Christianity for the first time. Because the wondrous thing about it is it doesn't make sense. God shouldn't become human to be brought so low. God shouldn't have to die for us in our sins. God shouldn't have found his way into a manger. But the miracle of Christianity and the miracle of Christmas and the reason to joy, rejoice and sing and celebrate is the fact that he did. And why? How does this make any sense whatsoever? Well, you may have guessed it because the candle's been burning there next to me since this morning. Third candle advent, love. Absolutely un boundless love as the character of pi finds his way in and he's questioning this he says this why would god wish that upon himself why not leave death to the mortals why make dirty what is beautiful spoil what is perfect love love that was father martin's answer and we read in scripture, which is much better than the life of Pi. So if you're going to go away and buy one book, please. <laughs> in one of the most famous verses that we have in John 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Love, complete and unboundless love for you, for me, for the whole of humanity, that, for all the people that aren't there this morning with us today. The Christmas story only makes sense because of unconditional love that God has for every single one of us. And that is what we should see when we look in the manger. So what? So really quickly to sum up before we then have communion together and then we lead in worship. What is it to take away from today? Well, I hope that some of that will be self-evident. But I am going to keep it really simple and that is Christmas is something to rejoice in and celebrate. And so often it becomes something that we don't do that. When life gets too much. We hear in the carols, again, how amazing they are. And I know that some people love them and some people don't so much. But the words I just love. Rejoice, rejoice. Joy to the world. Oh, come 
everyone joyful and triumphant. Like the Christmas story, the instructions are right there. The love God has for me and you is something to celebrate and to rejoice in. It's a message that we should be taking forward to other people that don't understand that yet.